0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Sunken Treasures podcast. Uh, we have a special treat for you today. We are reviewing Hector in the Search of Happiness. Danielle, since you suggested this for this week, tell us a little about
1: why you picked it and what it's all about. Well, I picked it partially because we've had some pretty like heavy discussions, and like Hector was so graphic and intense, it was amazing. But I kind of wanted to pick something that both had room to explore and was uplifting. And I love this movie. I've watched it probably a dozen times. And there's always something sort of new that I appreciate. So I also wanted to see what everybody's take was. And on that note, I would love to hear. Yeah, who wants to jump in? Well, something that first caught me off guard is that it's rated R.
0: I I still don't really understand why it's rated R.
2: I know. I didn't know.
3: That. Like, yeah, I didn't know that either. Like, why? Why would it be rated R? Oh,
1: yeah, I can't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe this is a rated R topic, right? Like,
1: maybe because they oh, have prostitutes. This... Like that's sort of a thing that's past thirteen. Maybe. I feel like
2: true. That might be. That might be. Maybe some nudity. Oh, that's true. Oh. That's, that's uh, nudity scene. Yeah. So I in guess. the very beginning. Um. I mean, there's one with the Chinese girl, a little bit, like really nothing. But, and there's a drawing. There's like a drawing.
0: <laughs> That's so really I guess, funny. Like a, a quick synopsis. Uh, the main character, the title character, Simon Pegg as Hector, he's a psychiatrist. And one day we just kind of find him struggling with this idea of happiness. And like, what does it all mean? Does his work actually mean anything? And how is he helping people achieve happiness? Anyway, so he goes on this wild adventure where he first starts in China, Shanghai. Then does he go to,
1: then he goes into Nepal. like the mountains, Nepal, yeah, the Himalayan. Yeah. Okay. I'm guessing in it's in Africa. Nepal. Yeah. And then after Africa. And then Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Okay. One of my favorite scenes is where he like loses it on his client and he's like, cut the rope, Jane. And he just like starts screaming at her. And, you know, I had this like thought, how many psychiatrists, like how many counselors go through that, like in their head where they're, you know, (laughs) just want to like let it all out.
3: So my thing was, he seemed like he had a perfect life to me. I mean, that life was, that was great. A very supportive partner. I don't know. I, no struggles. It seems like it's, I thought life was great for him. I don't. I'm, I'm still not understanding what made him unhappy, and set him out on the journey that he went on. I, I'm not sure. You know, like a lot of
2: what it happens, and I mean, well, you know, like I guess whoever is listening, should be aware that spoiler right now. You know, this is the beginning of your spoiler. Oh yeah totally (laughs) fair um yeah like towards the end of the movie right like it was the scientist being like so what's happening what is like which well the 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 woman right like his uh ex-partner or like i guess first love i didn't really get exactly what but you know that person he loved at some point in his life uh and she was like so what part of the brain is it and he's like everything right?" Um, And I guess on that moment, I was like, I think there's something about happiness that escapes us and even escapes the articulation of it, right? Like, maybe that's why we have so many conversations and there's so many attempts to articulate happiness and to find, I guess, keys. Some people focus on getting keys for happiness. Some people focus on the journey, right? Like the pursuit of it. But I guess a lot of what it is, is that happiness really is very outside. It really escapes us, right? Like we can never quite reach it, but we do, re- I mean, we are there and we can get there, but it's always hard to articulate and Maybe that's what it is. Like, I like what the scientist said at the beginning of his presentation. He was like, you know, happiness is a state of being. And I guess what that, in a way can mean is that happiness when it's a state of being right like when we are happy or being happy like we're just very in the moment like it's not something we can articulate right maybe that's why the whole need of pursuit like going back to the question of donovan like maybe what sets you up and like maybe any of us right like at some moment in our lives we ask that question to ourselves or somebody asks the question to us um like what makes you happy are you happy and i guess the answer that the movie proposes is that happiness is is something that occurs to you and is something that is out there right like it is not it's not something you will find easily in what's common to you but quite the opposite right like it is on what it is not happening right now to you that Happiness lives.
1: I think like what I love, he has this moment where he, you know, he writes, I think it's after he talks to first I love that the like I'm gonna make up that they were Tibetan where he's like, what part of we're closed on Monday? Don't you understand? <laughs> like he like slams the door in his face, like he won't let him into this temple because it's not business hours. I particularly love that that piece of it. Um, but you know, where he says that happiness is not avoiding unhappiness. And um you know there's this moment where all of the people who are like dancing in the flags are so happy and it's like and he almost looks like confused like like he's out there and sort of observing but he's not in a state of bliss the same way that each of them sort of is and and also he has a moment where he's talking to that sort of spiritual leader and he says you've been through so much why are you so happy and he says i'm so happy because i've been through so much and so this idea mm-hmm. Donovan, to come back to your question of why, like, I think that having a really cushy life isn't necessarily happy just because you avoid unhappiness.
0: I think that's exactly kind of what the Tibetan priest was saying, like, happiness is not avoiding unhappiness. And in those structures, in that kind of cushy, predictable clockwork lifestyle, that's all you're doing is avoiding unhappiness. You're creating these structures to ensure that you have this happy life with quotation marks, because it is hard to see how someone would be unhappy with that life, right? Like he's got breakfast on time and he's got a nice walk to work and he's, you know, got all the things that are seemingly what make a happy life. But what we learn along the way is it's, I, I want. I think it's more about like finding meaning and maybe that is only you can only find meaning in contrast to other experiences. So that's where he is able to kind of put together this, you know, emotional reconciliation of happiness because he'd gone through so much, much journey.
4: I think... I think we say, usually we say, we tend to say, you know, he has everything, he seemingly has everything, why is he unhappy? But I think it's, I think it's the case that two individuals can have the exact same thing, and one can be very happy with it, and the other quite unhappy, because we always are like, but why aren't you happy with what you have? There's, you know, (laughs) like, there's a child in Africa who can't eat, but, but I am sad today because I say I missed my bus or something else happened within my frame of reference because because we are happy or we are sad within our ecosystem, within our scale. And a particular moment's happiness or unhappiness is gauged by that scale and not by this absolute value of if you have this, you're happy and you're not. So even... Mm. So it's it's very much about the context in which they are happy. But even, even within that context, it changes from individual to individual. So it's like this very slippery slope uh, to say that this perhaps should cause happiness or they shouldn't or they should have kept you happy, right? So it's that kind of a situation. I'd phrase it differently. What I'd
3: say is happiness is about being able to appreciate what you have and let's say that there's someone who grew up in a luxurious life for them because they grew up in that environment the things that they have becomes the norm to them and so they lack appreciation for what it is that they have i agree with that yeah i don't know i think that's it it's about being able to appreciate the things that you have i guess so
0: if i may ask like how does one go about gaining appreciation for things that they already
3: have well you could take the root of hector and go through a nightmare and then the nightmare (laughs) reveals what it is that you actually have like you know it reveals that stability is good so you shouldn't be bored by stability stability is great and uh, your life is not in danger you 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 know now what it's like to be fearful for your life you don't maybe you don't want that experience again. And um, yeah, I guess that's one way of going about it.
0: So yeah, this nightmare portion of the movie that you're referring to, where he's being held captive in this like rat infested jail cell by uh, I guess like African warlords. I'm not even sure how to describe them, but um, he's being held at gunpoint, right? And I recall like, they're either like questioning him just like, why, are why are you here? And he's like, Oh, I'm like trying to research happiness and they don't believe him. And they like keep pushing him. Like, like, why are you here? And he finally comes out. I want to know if I can be happy. I felt like that was such a a moment for him or the character to really be honest with himself. Like, if he was trying to frame it like he was doing research so he could better help his patients, but really it was about himself the whole time. Like he, he didn't know if he could be happy or if he was just complacent.
1: Well, and there's like the really ambiguous piece from his childhood that's like hinted at repeatedly, but you know, I don't quite, I was never, I think it's intentionally sort of left ambiguous, but clearly there was something that wasn't he was stuck in sort of a sad child place, and so I think there's also sort of that. If your base note, right, is something that is rooted in trauma or, um, you know, just like a sadness, that sometimes it's hard to sort of move, you know, move past that. Even if you have organized yourself to have really a really lovely life for to the observer.
3: Well. The only thing that I could read about that portion of it is when the lady who predicts stuff, (laughs) she was telling him his future. And she said she saw, I think she said she saw a scared boy and that he was an only child. I don't know if being an only child is a traumatic experience. I mean, if if anybody here (laughs) can let me know. I'm not sure. But that's the only thing I, hope, I, I heard about.
1: I hope not, because I have one. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, but I. Um, other than that, I didn't see anything else about his past that would lead to trauma in his childhood. I don't understand why he was in the tree, hugging the dog and all of that. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I think there were some missing steps there, but I did appreciate the, I guess, ongoing motif of the boy or the dog sometimes you'd see just the dog or um as if it it was kind of like a um like a callback like we didn't really see that young boy you know scared he really resolved until the end so it was like in a way he was I guess maybe we're led to believe that he was healing some of these like childhood traumas or like some kind of experience, but again, yeah, we don't really know what well, I caused think, that.
1: Yeah. Like loneliness, right. As such, I mean, then some, you know, lots of people will tell you that loneliness is what kills older people. Like not, it's not, you know, that that actually is like the most taxing thing on the nervous system. And I think the other thing that happens, especially if you have like a dog as your only confident, right. That is not a good long-term plan if they die after, you know, 10 to 15 years. And, and also, it's sort of, you know, and you look at his very tidy life, they referred, you know, she referred to their relationship and their world as quite tidy. And happiness is usually quite messy, right? Because it's like, to really get like the grit to get into that, you, you have to create vulnerability, and you have to create, um, you know, connection, not necessarily through like an experience like he had, where you know, he was almost killed and whatever. But I think I think the relationship with the person from college he had sort of connected with her on some level and like held on to that as like I need to get back to this particular thing and and I love that she was just like no like no um
0: yeah and something to keep in mind the movie was based on a book um it was written by a French author and I feel bad for butchering his name, but Francois Lallure, um in two thousand two. The movie came out in two thousand fourteen, I think, to the American market. But um, but yeah, I think you're right about that. I, I say that to offer like there's a lens that I guess the producers, the director is working with, and trying to obviously adapt this this novel into. A feature film but with the relationship with the first girlfriend I think the character's name is Agnes played by Toni Collette um she's a great actress I really like her but anyways there was clearly like it wasn't so much romantic it wasn't like Hector was looking at her as if oh man you know can we get back together like I love you it wasn't anything like that it was really more that sense of companionship and connection that I think stuck with him but it's also that character Agnes that leads Hector to the um I guess the other psychologist that does the brain scans and everything um that kind of furthered this understanding of happiness from like a scientific perspective of brain activity but
3: I don't remember what what was he saying while he was in that booth? What was he he was speaking on the phone to um his girlfriend, I guess you can call her.
0: One part was
3: what was what unlocked his emotions? Like It was
0: like I'm I'm scared that I may like I may not be the person you spend the rest of your life with, but I'm also like, so what, what I want the most, I think that's what it was. What I want the most is to be that person that you choose to spend the rest of your life with. He's kind of having this like reconciliation of like both fear of losing her and living a life without her and entertaining this like immense joy of the possibility of spending their lives together. Um, And so that's kind of what we're seeing simultaneously on the brain scan with Agnes and the college professor. They're seeing this like whirlwind of brain activity that's covering all these colors and regions and, you know, just emotions, just really describing, you know, I I guess depicting this emotional revelation that Simon Pegg is having. Um, I think he calls it like the, were Borealis, the the like northern lights um and i didn't quite get it took me like i had to watch it again but i guess they were also relating the colors of the brain activity to like the tibetan flags the like monastery flags um,
4: i don't know if you guys interesting. Have, i don't know if you guys have watched inside out and inside out the emotions are shown as these five characters their joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and uh, fear. And there's this there's a scene towards the end of the film where the film, uh, all, through, all through the film, Joy, the character that shows happiness in your brain. So the whole film happens inside this young girl's brain. And Joy uh, is always trying to be center stage. All the five core memories, five or something like that, core memories of the child are all happy memories. And Joy is constantly trying to be trying to make sure that everything is happy for that child. And towards the end, the film reaches this unavoidable and perhaps more sustainable conclusion when sadness comes and touches the core memory and a core memory forms where joy and sadness are mixed. So how that uh, translates into the girl's life is that the girl, instead of trying to just... uh, So they move to a new town and something like that. And instead of, you know, trying to put on a happy face, she breaks down and cries. And the family comes and hugs her and, you know, they attend to her. So it's this it's this point of like, it's, it's not just the pursuit of happiness. It's not just about this having this unattainable, unadulterated, pure happiness. It's about how do you have all of this? And so they show that. And uh, so as a way of reconciling, these other things that happen in your life too, whether it is sadness in this case or other emotions, how do you reconcile that and <laughs> keep them as part of your happiness, as part of your experience? Yeah,
1: I know that I know what you're talking about. So the character, like her memory, her her feelings get like messed up. So she's like the child is just sort of in a void, like she feels disconnected and sort of apathetic. And they're trying to figure out how to get her happiness back. And then they realize from a previous memory that when she expresses sadness, she receives support and that creates happiness, um, that it's not sort of, they always kept pushing sadness, like, no, don't touch th- don't touch things, sadness, you'll make her sad. And then that will be awful. And, you know, our job is to keep her happy all the time. And, um, and then, yeah, it sort of becomes this like swirly combination of a happy and sad memory.
3: Which movie is this?
4: Inside, Inside Out. Out. Oh, okay. okay. It's amazing, by the way. Watch it.
1: Alright. Yeah, then I, I don't want to get too much off-topic, but that movie, Inside Out, the person who wrote that script had a child that was experiencing some pretty significant depression, and he went to a neuroscientist and asked him to explain like how emotions are dealt with in the brain and what goes on with it, and then he wrote the movie um it has a really like a beautiful backstory for listeners I'm, I may be like paraphrasing I'm just like pulling it from memory but um there was like a personal connection in that um sort of you know exploring what it looks like to like how how things are organized
4: and 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 for fans of the movie the Pixar movie up uh it it's made it's it's made by the same director yep. Pete doctor who who made up he's the same guy that made
0: uh, oh gosh Inside well up. i mean what is it the first 5 minutes of up can make me cry like a baby. (laughs) Um, So I guess, I love that backstory. Thank you for that, Danielle. I'm wondering what would drive this author, uh, Mr. I feel so bad, Le Lord, Francois Le Lord. What would drive someone to write a book like this and of course, make it a
3: movie?
2: Hmm.
3: Well, it's a popular question. The search but, for happiness is—I mean—but here's here's a question: Why is it a
2: popular question? And like, maybe it is because in its nature, like in the nature of happiness, it is some, it is not is something you cannot possess, right? Like I feel that a lot <laughs> of what we've been saying is just something you cannot really possess. And it's not something that presents itself to you alone, right? Or it's not that it doesn't present to you as, as happiness, but it presents to you in accordance to the interaction with other things, like what we were saying with Sun. like, yesterday I was watching some videos on TikTok about, you know, like, it's amazing that I'm saying that I was watching this on TikTok. But, um, you know, about what was happening in Turkey And it was just some videos about the Mexican rescuers going there and it's like one of them is just, he just does videos and it's just documenting, you know, how things are going, like they are arriving to the airport and this and that and whatever. And I don't know, you know, like the more I saw pictures of it, like some pictures of what's happening today. And I guess just seeing that unity of the world and be like, you know, like, I don't know, like, Mexico, like, we have a lot of shit ton of problems in Mexico, and still, still, there's people, because these rescuers called the topos, I don't know, I don't remember the name in English, but topo is the animal in the earth, in the dirt that lives underneath, uh, you know, that they're blind, that's topo. So the topos oh, the mole. are... The mall, thank you, yes. Like, the topos are volunteers, you know, like, they do not get paid for this as far as I think, or as I understood, maybe I'm incorrect, but what I remember is like, they are volunteers. Um, Yes, you know, and it's like this, like there, I don't know, I cried just watching the pictures, you know, like I just cried like those pictures of them being there and, and helping and just seeing that unity. It brought me joy, you know, like it made me happy to think about it. But as you were saying, like it took a tragic moment, I guess, you know, like it is not like it it just it didn't come alone. Like happiness didn't come from the rainbow necessarily, like it came from a catastrophe. And within that catastrophe, within all the darkness of it, happiness appeared. It is there, right? It is there. Like, somehow. So maybe, I don't know, maybe is a popular question because of that. It's because there's no simple answer to it. Like, it is not something you can articulate. And maybe that's why we keep asking the question and trying to articulate it. In a movie, in a book, uh, in keys for happiness for some people, <laughs> in colors, right? Like, neuroscientists are trying to explain it and make it... Uh, That was in the movie that we just watched. Like, the scientist was like, Oh, we finally made it numerical, right? Or something like that, like quantifiable. We have the variables of it. But I I guess something nice about the movie, I don't know about the novel itself, but in the movie, like, it was very meaningless, you know? Like, who cares if it, like, that scene when they are like, Oh my God, like, I can visualize happiness in the computer and this. Colors in area, like who the fuck cares? Like the the guy, the moment, like the girl was like, bro, I, I guess right. Like the woman needed to be like, hey, I need to show you what you just did, and the guy didn't care. The guy was like, can you get me to the airport, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess that's it, right? <laughs> it's like who the fuck cares, like because whatever you think you are articulating, it is it is not going to encapsulate. The wholeness of happiness, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's the nature of it—something we cannot capture.
1: Well, I think so. I love like the opening scene. Well, not the opening scene, but like with the French woman with her very thick accent talking about how you cannot hold happiness, and <laughs> mm. you know, like happiness. Right? It, it, it is not you. You cannot own happiness. That's um, that's not very wrong. <laughs> and that that whole scene is just like amazing. um but, you know, I think this idea <laughs> is so great. He's like, sure you can. You can hold that. <laughs> Let me help you. Um, no, it's, um, but, you know, it sort of starts with that, right? It's, I think it sort of hints at the fact that it is this thing that, you know, is elusive. Um, but I also think our society, well, civilization, since we stopped moving around, you know, for whatever, tens of thousands Mm. of years. Um, Comfort has been sort of the thing we've been told is like the goal. Like if you can be comfortable, like you were saying, Donovan, like and not have your life in danger like that, that's really wonderful. Um, But I think in, in that we sort of, again, come, I come back to this like place of, you know, that you shouldn't cry in front of someone else. There's all these things that sort of, you know, are uncomfortable, don't, you know, keep, and so then we don't actually go deep enough, because then you you can't have, like, right, if you want to be this happy, you have to have experienced this much sadness in some ways, um, that, and that's, you know, so it's like, are are you willing to sort of have both? Um,
3: So, I will, of course, (laughs) I will disagree with the they, well, not disagree. I'll say that I personally, I think finding happiness is really simple. Okay. So I'll tell you why it's simple. I think finding happiness is about being grateful and uh, just appreciating what you have. Just those two things. So getting close to near-death experience can teach you to Appreciate security. Finding out that the girl you thought you could have had a beautiful life with really has gotten past you. Finding out that she's not an option kind of makes you appreciate the one that you do have in the sack at the present moment. Okay. I mean the
0: sack. Come on. Just
3: (laughs) just (laughs) (laughs) So, so the point is. It's just about how do you learn to appreciate the things that you do have. And the problem is that as human beings, we learn to adapt to our environment. And if you have something, you adapt to it, it becomes normalized to you. You lack appreciation for that thing. The truth is just like monks in the temple or wherever it is, just being able to appreciate, being able to breathe, if you were someone who had a problem breathing, breathing would make you happy just having that freedom. If you had one leg throughout your life and you could learn how to walk normally, you, you 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 like you grew another leg, it would make you happy just to be able to walk. Just being able to appreciate the small things and the things in life is where happiness comes from. So I think it's that simple.
0: I think you hit the nail on the head with that first point. Um, at least in a broad, general sense, you know, starting with gratitude, absolutely, is, I think, maybe a shortcut to happiness. Um, and that is literally just being grateful for walking or you know breathing, like you said, just I think that's absolutely foundational to that, because we do take things for granted. We do get used to you know, the people who are around us and our partners and we take them for granted and, you know, oh, well, they'll still be there. You know, it's part of, you know, you feel secured in that. But at the same time, you don't really know what it's like to not have it. So, Until yeah. you've
3: lost it, of course. Until like, you've got, yeah. Like Hector. He has to get to the point where he's about to lose literally his girl, his life, everything. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I, I'm happy now. you know. <laughs>
2: But but I so think... we
0: call a sandbagger.
2: <laughs> Sorry, please go louder. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. I I do, I do agree with all you said, Donovan, except from that it's simple, because I think what you're saying is quite the opposite. I don't think that what you're saying is simple, but it's quite rather. I I mean it's also not that complicated or complex. I don't know which one is a better word I'm to use, theory. but difficult um it's just like i guess what makes it difficult quote-unquote is the fact that we cannot hold it right it's not an object that we can hold forever and it's not an object we can we can possess i think that's what it is because i agree with you like the moment that we stopped for a moment we watched around I mean, I've been doing this as you guys speak. Like, I'm watching around. I'm like, there's some birds. I'm happy I'm here. Great day. You know, like simple things. Like, yeah, I guess that's that's it, right? But I cannot sustain this state of moment all the time. Like, it's just not possible.
1: I I think as a, you know, I watch my child go through these. Like, I want what he has. And I want, you know, what they have and why can't we do what they're doing? And so mm-hmm. I think everything say everything is not, not that it's good now, but like we had like all this awe and wonder and appreciation and things were going great until he was about five. And then he started listening more to the people outside our home than people inside our home. And then it became sort of this, this thing. So I do think it's quite complicated. Socially, and I agree with you, Donovan. That if you can come back to th- absolutely, like, come back to that appreciation of, like, for everything that's that we purchase, right? There are a lot of people that we don't see that we can't thank. And you know, when I used to take Monty grocery shopping, we always thank the people that are restocking, and they always look like shocked, <laughs> like, what? What do you need? Like, they think we like want something. We're just like, thank you for restocking, because if it wasn't for you, we couldn't choose from like six hundred bananas. We would have like the one that was here from last week. And uh-huh. and like in that sort of acknowledging all the people that the truck driver, you know, all the people that go before that, that we, we don't have the opportunity to appreciate. Um, but I don't think very many people take the time because it, you have to pause, right? To like let it all sink in and, and think about,
3: yeah. Um. So Alejandro's point about it not being possible to hold on to happiness. I'd say that I understand why it's not easy to hold on to happiness. And it's because we naturally adapt to our environments. We grow accustomed to the things around us. So let's say you meet the best girl in the world and she's like, awesome. She breakfasts everything. Great. After 10 years, you learn to expect everything that she's offering and then everything that she is and she does it you kind of lose value you kind of unless you're able to reconnect with what your life was before her and then compare what it was before to where it is today un, and and I guess that's why most people have to go through something bad to appreciate what's good because they need a point of reference right but Our ability to adapt is what kind of diminishes our happiness. And that's why you think it's hard to hold on to. But the truth is, you just need to focus. (laughs) You just need to reinforce. Okay, let me tell you what Hector should have done. What Hector should have done to find his happiness in like a week instead of going on that journey. He could have focused on charity. Visit people who are going through struggles talk more with people. I guess the people who came to his clinic were all like living pretty good lives, generally speaking. And so he couldn't reference. There was no point of reference for him. But if he were to try to help the poor and the needy and really hear their stories and their suffering, then he'd have a reference to say, oh, well, my wife isn't cheating. She's not I mean, she can cook and, you know, you appreciate all the things that you have once you hear other people's story, without having to be captured by African warriors. Oh,
0: I, I'm going to hop on the Donovan bandwagon for this one because <laughs> I think, yes. So coming back to like the elusiveness of happiness, I don't think we're, I don't think it's, we're meant to be happy all the time, right? Like, I don't think that would be healthy, right? I don't think it would be productive for us to be in this state of happiness. Not that we have to be productive all the time, but it's, it's it comes back, for, for me, it comes back to this sense of like contrast. And I like the way Donovan used like a reference point. Um, you know, for me, of course, I think in colors, but like, how do you tell black from white? Because the contrast, right? Like, and all the grays in between,
3: You can only
0: differentiate them because of contrast. Um, So it's like, you know, this pain and joy and like suffering and exuberance, right? Like, how do you tell those apart? Oh, because you're able to compare that to something that's so very different. So, so viscerally different. And so kind of coming back to the charity and, and volunteer, I, 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 Yes, I am a believer. I actually had a a boss back years ago, ultimately very awful boss, <laughs> but nonetheless, he had this one thing he said to me that stuck with me. He was like, when you think you have nothing else to give, go volunteer, go give your time to someone else, because you'll just you being there and helping someone who needs that help. Will show you the value that you bring, or like, give you, make you feel that you actually are worth something and can provide something other than just whatever your everyday is calling for. Um, so yeah, yeah, like,
1: I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna push back for, actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no. Go Do you wanna go ahead, Um, so I think that volunteering is lovely but if you are super comfortable and slightly unhappy there is something about knowing that you're going like when you are quite well off and comfortable and you volunteer you know you're there for two hours it's not the same as having the first person experience of not knowing if you're going to come out of something and so i do think it's beneficial but i don't think that it actually would have substituted the experience that Hector had because-
3: I'm sorry. Could you repeat what you just said? Why? Yeah. yeah. Go again.
1: But when you volunteer, like, so for instance, I have, there's this whole, you know, thing where a lot of business schools, MBA programs really encourage people to like the one in Denver has like a whole three week program in Africa and they partner with an organization there but there's a a whole other thing called poverty porn, right? Where you go and you take your picture kicking the soccer ball with African children. And then you go back to your, like two people living in a six bedroom house. And now you've got your investments in your organization. And so it does help sort of create an expanded mindset. But if you have a base note of not being quite happy, I don't think that actually can fill that.
0: I see you. I for my sorry. I, I just want to clarify. Like, I guess when I was thinking about volunteering, it was definitely local. Like, go help your community. Go help the people around you who are, you
1: know, in your your neighbors, right? Like, right. But you still get to go home. Like, Hector actually thought he was going to die at some point. And, and do we all have to be on the verge of death to? find no. happiness <laughs> no but i'm just saying that i don't think it's as simple as charity it's not an end all be
4: i i see yeah yeah i think i think what daniel is trying to say is that it's it's almost like it's almost like watching a horror film like you you go to watch a horror film and you don't actually think the ghost is going to hurt you it's more an entertainment thing it's a it's a second order Thing really because the character is scared. This character is in real danger, but you are just experiencing it from an outsider perspective. It's not like the ghost can actually hurt you. This is not your consequence. You know that after two, if you go to watch The Conjuring, you know that after two hours you'll be out. Nothing is actually going to happen to you. So, working at a local thing, you know, helping someone less fortunate and all of that. Of course, yes, it can give you perspective. I'm not saying. It does not give perspective to people, but it is not your experience. You, if you go help out in a slum, it's not that you are going to, you know that you're going back to the safety of your own better house. So, but going through something yourself and having something actually happen to you, the the kind of compass that gives you is far more rigid and rooted in reality. So it's very different from... The other experience
2: well, yeah like. if, if I may um, two things at least, like going back to the movie, number one, I don't think Hector was the same person he we saw at the beginning of the movie, like he was just not. and maybe that's one part of it, right, like I mean, and well, that's one, and second one. The movie didn't really end after he got freed by the the African mafia, right? Like he didn't get he was not like oh fuck I'm happy, you know, like oh shit, you know, like I should appreciate my my life and let's go back. Like he didn't stop there, right? Like it actually was in a very I guess the moment of realisation of happiness occurred occurred in a laboratory, right? In a, it, yeah, and and maybe that's that's it, right? Like it it is very subjective. Like it is something that it can it only appears to you in, in its own way to you, right? Like uh, like volunteering. Like maybe some people maybe some people can benefit from volunteering. And Maybe that aha moment occurs to them in volunteering. But I guess that's not something we can fabricate. And maybe that's the whole point of the journey. And the unexpectedness of the journey and, like, him being, just to end, sorry, Daniel, just to finish, like, the the randomness of it. Because in the whole movie, he just didn't know. And I guess that's, in my opinion, that's a key, right? The moment you are like, well, I'm going to try this, this, and this, and I'm going to plan my trip to find happiness, right? Because this is what I think (laughs) I need to do and where I think I will find happiness. I think we'll, happiness will prove you wrong, right? Like happiness will be like, ha-ha, you know, like, poor kid. Come here, little boy, you know. I'll teach you, what, I'll teach you what I am about. And I guess that's the randomness of it, right? Like the more open you are to the unknown, to the, like, I have a fucking yes. idea what I'm going to be tomorrow, right? Like the more you are on that point of, I don't know, the closer you get to happiness, right? I mean, or not closer to happiness. Happiness is not a destination. But I guess the more likely you are to step upon it or for it to present itself, I don't know if it's something you step upon, but maybe it's something that presents itself to you. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like you actually hit on exactly what I was going to say, which I think that, you know, what Hector didn't have was like a tolerance for risk. And I think, you know, that is a particular thing that a lot of, you know, to come back to sort of the socioeconomic you know range and how some people seem quite happy like with a lot of risk you learn to tolerate loss and like you become emotionally flexible um and I think like also I just wanted to mention with the volunteering thing like Hector had like you know like what was it um I forgot what the patient's name was the one that like clearly has some type of you know, dramatic personality disorder or, you know, emotion, like the one that, that was like brain tumor, I think. No, right? like the the guy, his patient before he goes on the trip. Um, oh, who's uh. like, woo, like out there, like skipping half naked and like, you know, and, um, and he like almost is in awe of him. Like, how can he be like, how can he not care about anything? He's like dancing in the middle of the path. And, and so you see like, that he is being of service, but he's not available to sort of tap in. He's he's caught up in his own sort of law, like lack, that he's not, I don't think actually available to tap into what he could learn from X, Y, Z. And so I do think that, and and I love this because of course I'm always trying to look at it from sort of like a child development lens. Cause that's where I spend a lot of my brain hours is like we are as, a, as an American society, becoming, have become quite risk averse, right? It, whether it's, you know, playground equipment, or, you know, letting kids ride their bikes to a park that you can't see. And so there is sort of also this idea that I'm not safe, um, that I think, like that there's just something not quite grounded, and that you have to know you can do something and come out on the other side. And I think that's, that's sort of a part of his journey as well, is, is resilience.
3: I, I don't understand what you mean by risk. You, you referred to the risk aspect, what, what, what is that?
1: Yeah, but in general, like, there's an unpredictable nature to what he's doing, right? He doesn't know where he's going or how long he's gonna be gone. Like, it's, it's an adventure. And, you know, I usually define adventure as, you know, an activity that doesn't have a predictable outcome. And so in doing that, you don't know if you're going to be happy, right? You don't know if the way it's going to end is going to be better, but you go through it anyway. And I think that there's something in that where you, you go through the process and realize that your happiness, you know, it, it actually self-derived, that the outcome isn't dependent. Like it, this is, the, it's not a thing you can hold, right? Um, and so I think the risk piece allows you to find happiness in a variety of situations. And if you're too comfortable, you you don't have that tolerance. Hmm.
2: And, and if, I guess that goes to, to, to Donovan's point, right? Like to the point of like, you said it, like I, part of what it's in the way of us, you know, like if we were to think of ourselves as this always happy being, like, what gets in the way is being comfortable, right? Like our capacity to adapt that becomes, you know, like it allows us to see things as normal and we build a, a, how do you say Like a routine. And, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, like totally. That's something we are wired and designed to do. Like without, so, even if we don't want to. <laughs> but I guess that's what it is. Like happiness is outside of that. Whatever that is, like, whatever that is, you know, to us, like whatever comfortable means to us, happiness lies
3: outside. It, lo- it lies outside of us being comfortable?
2: Of comfort. Yeah. I mean, even if what you said, right, like you were <laughs> like, well, I have a simple key. Why don't you do voluntary? Sure, like that That in itself is going outside. Yeah, that's that's outside, outside your comfort. Like, I guess yeah. a lot of what we're saying is like, even if, if we want to fabricate it, like we want or not fabricate, we just want to try to step onto that state of being uh by whatever route we decide, like volunteering or getting mocked by the mafia <laughs> or whatever it is that we want to experience, it is outside. You know, like it is outside. We need to and that is what gives us
3: perspective. Good, yeah, the point of reference. Yeah. So um I agree with what with, with what you just said. It, you know, the words were different, but I get I get what to say. Um, there's one thing I'd like to say though. So so to the whole thing of happiness being elusive, um speaking more on the chemical level, the chemicals that bring happiness tend to be dopamine. And uh, there's another one. I don't remember. Now,
1: I'm going to push back on that. Dopamine is a reward. And that's different than happiness.
3: Um, That's like Which chemical chemical gives us a feeling of... of Serotonin. Okay, good. So serotonin then leads to our brain perceiving happiness. It's a reward chemical. So basically... Dopamine is the reward chemical. Okay. All right. So dopamine and serotonin lead to us feeling happy right and um the problem with chemicals is that for example if you smoke enough cigarettes you, if you start smoking cigarettes today like you will get high because your body isn't accustomed to smoking if you smoke cigarettes every day your body builds up a resistance to cigarettes and so it requires more cigarettes for you to get the same high right same thing with alcohol you can develop alcohol resistance where you have to drink tons of alcohol to get the same high as someone who could drink a shot and keel over okay so it's the same thing with the chemicals in our brain if you are happy consistently your brain adapts to the chemicals and then you build up a resistance to a certain level of dopamine or serotonin, and then you need more. I don't think that's accurate. You, okay. So, for example, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. So, okay. Chemicals in our body. So, for example, type two diabetes. Type two diabetes is known as insulin resistance, yes. meaning your body is resistant to insulin. So, you have to produce more insulin to get the same job done for your cells no. to take in the sugar. That's okay. not how it works. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Good. So what I have learned is that your insulin threshold moves up the more your body become resistant to insulin. And so the only way to bring back down your insulin level is through things like intermittent fasting, where you deprive your body of insulin so that when you do eat, your body is now insulin sensitive mm. and it will the, the 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 normal level of insulin will do the job because you have reduced insulin sensitivity okay mm. so I think it's the same with all chemicals yeah Daniel what are you saying
1: so um the insulin situation is actually fairly complex and there are a couple other molecules that are involved with it like glucagon um that so to, yeah so insulin is a key that allows sugar to enter cells and leave the bloodstream right Type 2 diabetes, the insulin resistance, that key doesn't function anymore. Um, and so that's why you get hyperglycemia. Intermittent wow. fasting allows the blood sugar level to naturally diminish. Um, I don't think it actually. Why, do, go why does
3: the key not work anymore?
1: Uh, because, well, I think it's. It has to do with. I actually don't know the reason for that. Um, but I think it has to do with uh, like a. Um, acc- not acclimation, but essentially a toxicity that happens, so that the cells aren't sensitive to it anymore. But it
3: doesn't—that's yeah, the thing, and that's why you're given more insulin when you have type they, two diabetes. But you recommend exogenous,
1: o- so that's not more. You don't need more. It's that what you have doesn't work, so you need the same amount to come from a different source. Your pancreas oh, stops producing it. No, 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 no. Oh,
4: no. Uh, no yeah, no, no, no. that is not. That is not. It's a diabetes.
1: supplement.
4: It's it, is, not, it is just that it's it's not that you know your your body needs more and you know keeps needing more. It's just that whatever is needed, your body is not in a position to produce whatever. For people is gen, is produced automatically, that your body is not in a position to produce. <laughs> so, um,
0: I if I okay. can jump in because I think um, I don't don't have diabetes. I don't know much about diabetes, but I do know a fair amount about addiction. Um, so when you were talking about like alcohol, um, I think the point that you're getting at Donovan is that in order to get the same satisfaction, be it a cigarette or whatever, it with time, the word resistance is maybe not the best word, but like tolerance is maybe a better word. Um, but you have to ingest more of a substance to get a similar reaction, you know, that you were looking for that high, that whatever it is, like what's really common, unfortunately, with like heroin overdoses is that people are normally clean and then they come back and they try to take the same dose that they had left off of. And that's what kills them um, because their body wasn't used to it. They had lost that tolerance. And so coming back to happiness, what I'm sensing is like a balancing act, and, and this is, these are broad strokes, so please take it with a grain of salt. But bro- broadly, there's a balancing act between our innate and like primal need to find security, stability, comfort. But what we're acknowledging here is that happiness is in that kind of unknown adventure, that openness to being happy, sad, frustrated, joyous all at the same time. And we don't know necessarily when that's going to happen. So we're like kind of, there's this tension between like needing to make sure that our needs are met, that we're safe, that we're, you know, going to live another day. Meanwhile, also balancing this, like, what feels unnatural to us, like to brave the uncertainty, like and to hold that uncertainty with the hopes of, I'm gonna experience something and happiness may be one of those emotions, but I, that's I, what I'm picking up. Is that
1: accurate to everyone else? Yeah, and I think like, I love that you brought up neuro, neurotransmitters, Donovan, because I think that the two things that we're talking about here are actually quite different. The serotonin happiness is like the state of being. It doesn't actually, it's not linked to a particular thing. The dopamine happiness is a reward. It's super addictive. You need more of a thing. And you'll notice like the difference in those two states, right? The Tibetan uh, monk who is just like finding joy. And I think the serotonin happiness is particularly like the gratitude, right? You don't, when you find appreciation, there's like this calm, like delight in things and that's very different from like, oh my God, I feel super happy that I just ate a piece of cake and now I want seven more or, um, you know, gambling. The thing that's feel like gambling. Right. And there's all like a weird validation piece that happens with addiction. Um, and so, but I think because the, to cultivate the serotonin thing, you know, it's, it is subtle. It's not this like, Woo, I feel happy. It's usually like, like, you know, something that's calmer. And so a lot of people don't actually recognize that that's what that is. So they look
3: for the thing that's so, more dramatic. So um, so the point that I was making is that our body adopts to different chemicals. Are we disagreeing on that?
0: I Well, to backtrack, I think what you're actually trying to do is parallel the physical requirements versus our, like, environmental requirements how we're both have a tendency to find that comfort and become tolerant of that comfort so it's hard for us to appreciate the differences outside of it yeah like the more yeah okay
3: but i'm trying to make that point on a chemical level by explaining why it is that we adapt to our environment saying
4: when there is too much comfort we get used to it and all of that is one thing but saying when we are happy the chemicals change and you know the chemicals stop responding is kind of problematic to say because because saying that uh, when things are comfortable your the the chemicals and hormones in your body stop responding a certain way is is a problematic assertion to make because it boils down the whole of you know mental health and all of all of the uh all of the information about regarding that into this very simplistic overly simplistic uh tidbit just so it you know sort of helps our discourse (laughs) so connecting ease of living like you have a better sofa so your serotonin you know you have a better sofa you have aircon and all of that doesn't mean you're Good. You know your your hormones stop doing what they're doing is a is a you know, yeah. Slightly so. I think I think everyone uh, is thing to say.
3: Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm just I'm I think just Donovan's I'm, I, I haven't though. I haven't made the pointers yet. So I'm just asking: oh, okay. Do we agree on the question that our body adopts to different chemicals if it's overexposed to a particular chemical? Do we agree that our bodies build up a resistance? To that chemical. Not always. Not always. It changes from case to
1: case. I think a better word is dependency. So what Vicky It only happens with dopamine. I don't know that that happens with serotonin. I'm not familiar with that happening with serotonin.
3: So so you're saying that dopamine, dopamine is addictive. What about Uh, adrenaline?
1: Adrenaline is more addictive than uh, adrenaline creates dopamine release. Good. It's the same. So you're saying that
3: there are some chemicals in our body that doesn't lead to addiction, as in our bodies does not become resistant to some chemicals even if it's overexposed to it. That's what you're saying. Well,
1: let's talk about overexposure because I think that's a really complicated thing. That could be environmental, that could be physiologic, that could be. that you don't have enough receptors. And so the receptors that are there are bombarded. I think it, again, coming back to Singh I think it's a fairly simplistic assertion to say that, and I don't actually know that that happens with serotonin.
4: Okay. Okay. Donovan, maybe, maybe let's, let's, start. In, let's I, put the generalization aside and what is the, what is the point you're trying to make? Then maybe we can discuss. The point that I was going to make, I think you you assumed
3: it before the point that I was going to make. The point was that... Yeah, sorry, sorry. Make your point. Yeah, yeah the, the point... No, no. I'm saying that you were right in your assumption. Is that where I wanted to go to is that... How would I put it then? Yeah, if, you, if, if, your, if your life gives you a certain level of happiness... And you constantly have a certain release of dopamine. So for example, uh, dopamine or serotonin, whichever chemicals, whichever chemicals it is, if your body is exposed to it, frequently, your body becomes less sensitive to it. And I was connecting that to, because things that happen in our environment, let's say someone jumps out and scares you, right? You're going to have adrenaline, you're going to... Your heartbeat is going to increase. There's things that happen to your body caused by your environment, but not processed through your cerebellum, right? These things, cerebrum, those, cer- right, cerebrum. So those chemical releases happen in what's called the reptilian brain, right? The reptilian part of your brain. That's what handles the chemical release, and that um, is based on our environment. Yeah. And so I'm saying that if your environment constantly leads to the production of a particular chemical, that yes, it will, you know, the threshold, yeah. We're talking about
1: classical conditioning now, like um, now we're talking about like a stimulus not asserting the similar response. Um, I'm glad you, yeah, I am
0: hesitant to use the word resistance because, you know, let's take the adrenaline example, like if i'm an adrenaline junkie and you know maybe i go mountain biking and i get that certain dopamine release oh man that feels really good well i want to go bigger like now i'm in skydiving and now i'm doing right. bungee jumping or whatever right like it, it escalates because not because my body is becoming more resistant but because i'm not producing the same amount of dopamine for that action so in order to get that same high i have to go bigger <laughs> to get that
1: yeah, it's, it's, same it's conditioning. It's like Pavlov, right? That, Or or like in... There's a very simple little slug that they established. That it's like gill withdrawal reflex. You poke it and it like curls up because it thinks you're going to kill it. And you poke it over and over and eventually it just lays there because it knows nothing bad is going to happen after you poke it. These are like conditioning responses that
3: happen. So I think we we'd maybe we'll get into the chemical aspect we get outside of our particular fees, other than Daniel. But I'd say that in terms of whether it is that our bodies produce less adrenaline, if you do the same activity again, it produces less, or is it that the threshold for, so maybe the threshold for what gets us high then increases Either way, whether it's producing less or the threshold is getting higher, it's the same result. It simply means that we need to go bigger to get the same rush, or we need to smoke a higher grade of cigarettes to get the same high, or take a harsher drug to get the same high. Whatever it is that makes us feel like we have to go up that level. That thing is what makes our environment, it diminishes our environment because we always want to go up more. But the
1: you same think high. Like, are we equating <laughs> I, high with happiness? Because that doesn't actually feel like the same thing.
3: No, and we're just I talking about think, the threshold in terms of but, but hitting I th- that level for happiness. The threshold, the threshold of happiness. I I am finding a bit
2: um, it's not problematic. I just don't find it as precise to think of happiness as a level and specifically as a vertical level. Right? Like, I mean, we're talking about going high or low, and if a threshold gets higher or smaller. But I don't, you know, I mean, I do agree with you in terms of, like, we adapt, therefore we start taking things for granted because it becomes normal and we stop thinking about it. And for us to step and I think that's where outside, the conditioning concept right. can be applied. But I don't think it is, like, for us to get to happiness, we need to get higher level like get to the next level high of the threshold we get like I'm not that sure right like it's not it's not like oh you know like for me to get happy again right like if I'm someone who is very into into uh wild what's the name of that like um like savage or wild adventures, right? Like, like risk. Yeah, daredevil acts. And like, uh, yeah, like I just want to go into adventures and fight with lions and (laughs) the extreme, extreme whatever, right? Yeah, like, of course, like first time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly, right? Like, I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think that's happiness. It's not like, oh, you know, like for me to actually be happy now because I've done it all. Now I need to go and fight with, Ten lions because I had nine. I fought nine and I won. So now I need to go to ten <laughs> to get again. You know, like, I don't think so. Like I think it's actually right. Like that that would that would be more complacent through a vertical measurement. But I think happiness happens at random, right? So it's not maybe about let's increase. Like if I already got to this level of the threshold, let me go to the next one to find again happiness. I think it's actually let's get out of there at all, right? Like I think happiness comes really? present in the random yes in the randomness of things, like the the moments we like sometimes like I I am not looking I mean I, for example yesterday I was not scrolling TikTok find trying to find joy you know like but it it just I just found it on that moment right like it was a random moment yesterday for example now that we are in this, like. Yesterday, Kat and I, we went to this event. It was great. And I found my... I was telling her before getting there, like, we went to... It was like a party type of thing, underground, very artistry, very nice, beautiful uh, adventure. But I was like, I haven't put myself into this situation in a long time, right? Like, and it's not... I I mean, I was... and, And in my... I don't frequent these places. Like, I don't go... Uh, dance and to these hippie places that much. But the more open I was, like, I don't know, something about it was like, let's do it. You know, like, why not? Like, let's do it. I was telling her, like, we got a drink before getting there and just to finish the story, like, I was like, that was comfortable for me, right? Like, me sitting down in a bar, getting drinks, uh talking, like, that's to me, satisfied. I was telling her, like, I could end the night right now, right? Like, I, I feel satisfied. This is what I'm used to. This is what makes me happy. But a lot of what I would have missed if I would have said like, oh, you know, like, I don't know. I don't, I'm don't, i not feeling it anymore. I'm satisfied. I'll go home. Thank you for everything. Like, I would not have th- had this experience, right? Like, can I just put myself into a random situation and by randomness it's like something I just don't do in my everyday life, right? But well, again, both, so both it's not, can, so it, Both yeah, can exactly. be true, Alejandro. Like, Sorry, go ahead. Can you repeat? I didn't really
3: hear. I'm saying both can be true. It can be true that you can increase the level of activity or you can do a different activity. I think it's just about exposing yourself to different stimuli, kind of.
1: See, and I think that... But I don't think the nature is the same. We're talking about two different things, right? Like the dopamine addiction thing, I did nine lines. now I need to fight 10. It's different from the serotonin, which is like... I'm going to meditate and like do self-exploration work to see the things that are like in the way of me accessing happiness. And, and I think that much of what you're saying, Alejandro, is that like that internal piece of being available and open to a new experience, it didn't have, it has more to do with sort of, and this comes back down into your like thing about appreciation and like, I'm going to go into this place and, and appreciate. Um, there's also this, this amazing TED talk that I make up none of you would really love because it's mostly about parenting. But they talk about, like, at one point that you're generally your average happiness goes down as a parent, but you trade, like a baseline of happiness for these moments of bliss and moments of like, super frustration. And so you get these. But what he talks about is that the graph goes like when you're a child. I'll, I guess I'll do it like this. Um, it's like, woo! You know, I'm super happy. I'm devastated. You know, like this thing. And he said it's almost like age is a form of lithium. That by the time you're 30, there's a you know band coming that you want to see. And you're like, I could go and have this transcendental experience and feel goosebumps all over my skin. But it's more likely I'll feel claustrophobic and I won't be able to find a beer. So I'm going to stay home and, and like, <laughs> listen to it on my, I have a great stereo. It'll be, it'll be fine. And so you start to hedge your bets about predictive experiences. And I think that's when you actually find this place where Hector was of uh, being quite comfortable because you're not willing to risk super hat, like super great experiences with the possibility that it might not be as great as you think it could be.
3: So, um, I'll, shift us a bit back now to a different point that was made. So the the, the other point that was made is about when I spoke about the charity and how charity could give you a point of reference. So yeah, if you're going to charity to take photos and get social media fame, clearly it's not gonna work. The point of it was to put yourself into someone else's shoes, to hear their story, hear about their life, and if you can empathize Empathy is kind of like putting yourself in someone else's shoes and seeing things through their eyes. That's kind of where it comes from. If you're able to empathize with the story that you're listening to and to kind of get the negative feelings of what that person is going through, if you can truly empathize, then I believe the charity will work, right? Without you having to go through it yourself. Of course, going through it yourself gives you a wide a wider range of appreciation, but
2: yeah. No, And and I I agree, but I will say this in terms of like going back to the actual movie and talking about the character, like he, he had a pretty, I mean, he had a job that required a shit ton of empathy, right? Like he's a psychologist. Um, Just to, just to put it like, I think the volunteering can work if it's something that comes from your own mind, right? Like not maybe it's not something that will work to anyone because again, it is I agree, like volunteering can give you that experience if done properly on doing that. Like putting putting yourself in somebody else somebody else's shoes and and that. But for example for him I don't think it would have worked. Because again, like that's what that was his job. His job was to sit down, listen to people and be empathetic and trying to help them to the best of his abilities, so I think, like personally, volunteering—I don't think it would have worked for him. Like that would have not given him the actual perspective he needed. Now, is like I don't think we know that perspective. That's what I'm saying. Like randomness seems to me as the the key one of the key elements to getting the way of happiness, right? Like for it to for us to have some chance of experiencing it. Because yeah, I mean I can yeah, like yeah, I don't know, volunteer like that is something he was doing already. It falls so, short. Yeah, it would have felt and it I would have fallen short. Yeah.
1: It's why sort of travel, right, is so incredibly popular because you go someplace that you don't speak the language. And a lot of people really love travel, and I think it's because you you pull yourself out of your element, all the things that you've gotten used to. It creates almost like like you're saying with intermittent fasting, Donovan. It you know it creates sort of like an abstinence from you know your life that then you're totally at the effect of like, even if you have like tickets and whatever, you're still sort of like at the effect of another culture, and there's something quite liberating about that. And then you're less sort of laden with responsibilities that you've put on yourself for, you know, the 16 things that you need to do to call your day a a win. And instead you're sort of just exploring. And I think the unknown and a sense of wonder are really the things that are quite transformative. Well, (laughs) I just want
0: to jump in. So yeah, we meet the character as this like highly conditioned systematic methodical yeah methodical great word um who we assume doesn't really um, like see how good he has it doesn't really see how great his girlfriend is or you know the job or whatever and then he goes like pretty extreme whether he knew it or not like he didn't exactly know where this adventure was going to take him obviously but like what Daniel is saying is just like that travel was like such a, an abrupt interjection for him to be totally almost like misplaced and find his way. And as we know, like his life does become, you know, at risk and that was certainly not a part of the plan, but you know, nonetheless, it adds to this experience for this character. And it is beyond me because this movie addresses such a wonderful question right like what is happiness and like how how can we be happy and but what I find most peculiar about it even as much as I love the movie the movie itself did not do very well reviews were pretty poor so I'm curious to hear your thoughts like why why do you think it
1: Well, I also want to say before we move on to reviews, like, as you like talking about his life before he traveled, he also like there was very little agency, right? I make up he didn't want to drink the wheatgrass, but that's probably something his girlfriend told him he needed to. And like she put everything in front of him, which is it's quite lovely. But also like we crave a sense of agency. And then his job, he literally just sat there listening to people and probably following a formulary as to like the drugs that he gave out. So there wasn't very much creativity There wasn't very much sort of agency. Um, And I think that, like, even just the action of planning a trip that was off script, you know, could have shifted that piece, too. Um, I don't know why it didn't do very well. I love this movie, so I can't speak to why it didn't do well. Maybe somebody who's more critical.
3: So, I read some of the reviews of the movie. And uh, of course, it's from Rotten Tomato, they're one of the biggest review sites. And basically, what they were saying is like it's like like they're making it like they're saying like this is high-end white people struggle kind of thing. Like this isn't <laughs> the struggle of real people. I know Vicat would love that one. I know Vicat would love that. One. Like like this well, is the type of problems that white problems that white like rich well-off people then let's not let's not go with the that rich well-off people would have then or relate to but this isn't like reflective to most people so that was one of the big recurring
2: yeah, but i'm gonna but I, I say these that's sounds... i mean but i'd, say, I'd say, that's that's why i hate reviews You know, I I hate reviews because of that, like, even more now in this postmodern world where everything is a fucking label and it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, if it doesn't relate to me, then fuck it, you know, like, come on, like, but I will say this, there's some brilliant, I mean, I've seen better movies or documentaries about happiness, but I think that what I find brilliant about this one in its own way, it's um, the simplicity of it, you know, like, Like, I think a lot of the content is being produced on happiness really goes into the deep downs of of the struggles of life, right? Like how to find happiness, even in the most, uh, or how people is happy, even in what we believe are the most precarious conditions, right? Like how people, for example, in Mexico, how we are so happy with all the fucking problems we have. In third world countries, and like a lot of the a lot of the content we see around happiness, really dips down on that, right? Like finding happiness even in the struggle, which I think it's it's great. I think it's good, but a movie like this one, where it's not quite focused on that, in approaches it with some comedy, right? Because it's I mean, this guy's a comedian, and he's not hard on comedy, but I think it's just good enough comedy on these. Um, on this one, I think it makes it brilliant. Like, and it also doesn't give you a very, like, uh, you know, guru type of key and solution for happiness. Like he just, in the end, I think that's what they just said. Like, it's everything, right? Okay. that I, I mean, uh-huh. right. And I guess that's the whole point. Like, it's everything. There's no way to define it. Like, what were you expecting? The key for happiness? Like, to, for me to tell you, yeah, like happiness lies here. No, I guess that's the brilliance of this movie. Like, who cares, right? Like, yeah, for I, Hector was his. Yeah.
4: I think we have to make a distinction between the the problem being bougie and the solution being bougie because the problem can never actually be completely bougie because, I mean, while while I can empathize that with, with that Prince Harry's problems aren't exactly the same kind of problems as <laughs> other people, but, like, it's
2: Sorry, I was, I was just going to say to your point, Vicky, um, if you're watching a movie about uh, happiness and then you're, the first thing you do is to judge the movie for like, oh, this is so white. It's like, well, then there is, right? Like, that's why you're not happy, bro. That's why happiness really gets outside of you. Like for you to actually be able to to, to get the whole point of this fucking movie and get the point of not even the movie like the whole topic happiness you get to need you get to you need to get outside of your fucking self right like you need to forget yourself for a moment uh-huh. and get out in the fucking world and stop yeah so that's why I think this movie is brilliant even uh-huh. though it didn't go it didn't do that well capitalistly yeah, back back yeah, I, I found it a great like, movie.
0: Oh, I just want to push back. I don't. I think it actually starts with the self, like meditation, gratitude, like kind of focusing on like where you're starting from, and then going into the world and welcoming this sense of risk and unpredictability.
4: Yeah, big cat, go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the point I was trying to make, like, I just had to take a dig at Prince Harry because, <laughs> oh, he's so heckin' annoying. <laughs> oh, I mean, no one, no one asked for a male Kardashian. And like like why is this guy delivering? It's it's fine. The female Kardashians are enough for the drama. <laughs> so 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 yeah, that's the thing. They like when the, the, the problem is is bougie, that's that's one thing. But when the solution is bougie, it's like, oh just like oh just you know, it's very simple. Just take a vacation on the you know coastline of Spain. I'm like if I had that kind of money, why am I coming to you for advice if things are so simple? Like it's when they make this like overly generalized and as in a very this matter of fact, right. you know, yes. Jesus came back to say this kind of way like, yeah, just just, you know, travel and just it's very simple. It's like, you know, quit your job and uh, travel, go backpacking across Europe. It's like, really? Quit my job and go backpacking? <laughs> For a year in one of the costliest regions on Earth, like how is this? <laughs> like how is this a solution? Yeah. So it just it just gets very annoying, and stories take a hit when the solution is bougie like that. And yeah, it's not 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 that story. Just so, this, just this. And they're like, yeah, just uh, it's so simple, you know, just go find yourself, whatever the heck that means. By traveling, and then they do it in this voice, and then you can, in this very first world, oh, I have so much money voice, and then you can just feel the rage climbing up your back. And then,
3: yeah, that's a big part of the problem is. is people lacking empathy, right? And yeah, I understand that this may be, it may seem like the he has no problems and he's stressed when he shouldn't be. But if you could forget your point of reference for a second, And look at what he's going through and try to empathize with his situation. It seems hard for a lot of people to do that. And so even people who are reviewing this movie who are saying, like, who cares about him? He has a great life. He should shut up about it. I mean, everyone just seems to be so self-centered nowadays. No one really knows how to just empathize with others. But um, so I'd like to read the 21 things that Hector wrote down in his book, oh, cool. and maybe we could say something quick about them, right? Yay. So number one is, number one is making comparisons can spoil your happiness.
1: Uh, that's what the reviews seem to be doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> they're spoiling their own happiness of enjoying this movie by comparing their, yeah, they're comparing their reality yeah. with his situation. All right, let's go. Number two, happiness often comes when least expected. Yay. Yeah, Alejandro (laughs) will relate with that one because that's a point he's been making all along. Put yourself into new situations, new environments, new experiences. (laughs) Many people only see happiness in their future. I I think I'm similar to that. Where I can be in a bad situation right now, but just seeing the end of the process, being able to visualize what life will be like after I'm finished doing this thing, I can take comfort in that. So I'm I'm that kind of person who can be going through the worst stuff, but I'm always focused on the silver lining up ahead. And I can, like, I'm sad now, but I know I'm going to be happy in a few months. So I'm fine. I'm fine now because I know I'll get over it. So I'm, I'm that kind of person.
1: I think that one is only slightly dangerous because there is no guarantee.
3: That's true. But I was going to say, and then it's mm-hmm. never
1: present. You're never, you're always
0: like seeking it, but maybe that's the whole pursuit. If the,
3: <laughs> if the present is garbage, sometimes you don't want to be in the present. Though. And that's, that's the okay. point of living in the future, is that if you can visualize a more positive future, it's better to focus there than on what's happening now.
0: God, I wish I had a recording. Or I guess we do have a recording of it. just like, present is garbage.
3: We do, we do. <laughs> All right, so number four. Many people think happiness comes from having more power or more money. And he used the word thinks here. I
0: thinks agree that happiness. people think that. I think that, to a yeah. certain
3: point, it does. Because people cleave eh. to those things as like false, false
0: gods yeah. of happiness. Yeah. I think
1: it also comes back to the comparison piece. The point, point. number one. I mean, it, you can you can have access, and I think access is actually what people want to have.
3: So, where, where what I do to this comment? So I, I'll read it again. Number four. Many people think happiness comes from having more power or more money. Just, just add the line. They are right. No, 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 <laughs> no. what what I'll add to this? What I what I would add to make this more accurate is that many people think long term happiness comes from having more money and more power because power and money I I believe and creating access can give you short-term happiness in the moment but in terms of long-term joy those things are fleeting and if you have power you'll always be worried about losing your power if you have money you'll be fearful of losing your money and so you'll never truly be able to be free in your happiness because those things are temporary so and I think
1: those, yeah. So what you're saying, Donovan, those things both imply um, a fair amount of responsibility. If if you're doing it right, um, and so yeah,
3: and that brings stress with it. That responsibility. All right, number five. Sometimes happiness is not knowing the whole story. Uncertainty. Lying to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if for example, there are some women who their 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 partner goes out late at night. And they suspect he's cheating but they're like i don't care like i would rather not know i'll pretend as if he's going to work at one in the morning when he has a nine to five but you know so I'll, it's not just yeah.
1: relationship based <laughs> i am like constantly in a place of struggle and like self-imposed stress because of like how things are produced. like I don't want to buy the granola bars that have palm oil that are you know coming from a shenanigan that affects the elephants or whatever my white person problem is about buying a granola bar. Um, but like, yeah, like if you don't care or are not aware of problems that lead up to the like one thing that you're choosing to interact with, I think it is quite a lovely place to be often. And once you sort of go down that, rabbit hole of being informed, I think it does often bring some conflict internally.
4: All right. Number six.
1: Oh, Vikat, were you going to say something?
4: No, okay. no, no, I agree because because sometimes thinking that if you had all the information, you could be completely happy and fix everything is a, is a great delusion. So like, I would rather have minor delusions and, you know, move on with my life. <laughs> All right, number six.
3: Happiness is a long walk in beautiful, unfamiliar mountains. Happiness is a long walk in beautiful, unfamiliar mountains. Yeah, Alejandro, thumbs up. Next. <laughs> number seven. It's a mistake to think that happiness is the goal. It's a mistake to think that happiness is the
4: goal.
0: It's the journey
4: that's happening. Yes. Agreed. That's where I, I struggle
0: with, like the future. Like if that's the end goal, as your future happiness, then you're like depriving yourself of potential happiness in the moment.
1: Well, I've been also focusing on balance as being the goal, um, which is not always happiness.
3: Uh, well, maybe different things make different people happy. I, I don't know. I guess I guess so. All right, let's go number eight. Happiness is being with the people you love. Unhappiness is being separated from the people you love.
0: I definitely agree with the first one. I hesitate with the second part because I don't think it's necessarily like, I'm away from my family right now, but I'm not particularly unhappy because I'm enjoying an adventure.
3: But are you separated though? Can't you like Skype, Zoom, call kind of thing? Are you really surprised? Okay.
0: Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I guess. How do you? Yeah. Okay. Mate, I'm cool. just
3: playing. I, I'm not sure. I get what you're saying. No, yeah, it's cool. All right. Next one. Number. It's not physical. Number. Well, separated can be interpreted. I guess differently. Number nine. Happiness is knowing that your family lacks nothing. Wow. <laughs> I, can you uh, repeat it? Lacks nothing. Happiness. But that's not possible. I'll, I'll, repeat, I'll repeat it for Alejandro. Happiness is knowing that your family lacks nothing.
2: I agree totally percent. You know, I've been struggling with that question a lot this year with my parents and working with a therapist about it. And a lot of what I've found in the last few weeks is like, man, all the things I think my family is lacking or my parents are lacking as people is just like it's just bullshit, you know? Like, it's just shit in my head. What? And yeah, it, it is, it is. Like, we can have another podcast
1: on this. Projection. Um, yeah, it's projection. Exactly.
2: Yeah, it, yes, it is projection. I mean, I also think it's rooted on some things that are not projections. But for sure, if we're talking about happiness, for sure, I am happy with them when I am not, let's call it judging them or being, yeah, like being just judgmental towards them, but actually just... Being with them who they are at the specific moment, and that's it. Like, yeah, so, anyways, um, agree 100%. All right.
3: I think nothing is a strong word, though. Nothing like y'all don't want to lack, like, nothing y'all want. I mean, all right, anyway, well, number 10. Yeah, happiness is doing a job you love, or maybe not doing a job at all. Maybe, I mean, I mean, yeah, so well, happiness even, is even doing not a job doing a,
2: job, a job at all, it's a job. <laughs>
3: All right, all right. Number eleven, happiness is having a home and a garden of your own.
0: Mm. I could
1: find happiness there.
3: <laughs> that sounds like a materialistic type of thing, though. Like, Definitely.
1: but there's you really also need a home security. No, you don't need a home.
4: What you guys don't need a all home? Right, number twelve, guess, bridge dwellers. Of course, you need a home. You can be
3: happy. Happiness is in the heart. <laughs> it's in the heart, not whether under a bridge or. Well,
1: like we were, well, so I will say, I think it's good to have a home to come back to because we were thinking about traveling full time for a while, and in that sense, I would say no, I don't need a home, but I want some place to come back to, and so I do think that it's useful to have a home.
2: And I also think a home means like people, right? Like a family, because you can have a home, you can have a penthouse in Manhattan alone and not be happy. So I don't think it's quite like. The material of it, I guess. I mean, I am interpreting it as the family aspect, like having home. Yeah.
3: Yeah. All mm-hmm. right, next one. Um.
1: I love that you did this, Donovan. Yeah. Yeah, this is
3: great, man. Happy net. Yeah, but I'm trying to quickly before Alejandro needs to go. No, I'm good. I'm good. Right, I don't go. need to it's... go anymore. So, take it easy. Oh my goodness, we always do that to Alejandro. We spoil all of his <laughs> no, plans. No. All of Listen, these appointments, we're destroying no, your no, life, Alejandro.
2: This, we're bad influencers. The, the, so the world is good. In this case, it was that I had a... Like, the other person canceled me or rescheduled. Like, I just noticed now when I went to... I'm like, okay, cool. I don't have to go. So,
4: yeah. Sorry. You manifested uh, I more
2: time. <laughs> like, All this right. is more important.
4: Yeah, always cancels meetings. <laughs> All right. So,
3: so... Since you're not leaving now, I'll add this I'll add this one thing that I wanted to say before. That you had some people who were in the Nazi camp. Uh, there there's this very famous book I heard about where Yeah this mother Man, told, told her meaning. children. She like she told her children that they were playing a game and that like oh, this is right. all, that's everyone that's is a one. part of the game.
1: It's like Life and is she Beautiful. Kept them. That's what it's called? Uh, there's it's a, a movie. movie called Life is Beautiful that's about that. Where
2: he right. plays. Like, so game. basically
3: they she just create a perception for them that this is all a game while they're in the nazi camp and they mm-hmm. they were able to stay happy because the happiness was mainly it's in your head you can be happy anywhere once you have the right frame of mind that's basically what it's all about um next on the list number 12 it's harder to be happy in a country run by bad people i live in jamaica guys so i mean can you say it again please if i can be happy here it's harder. It's harder to be happy in a country run by bad people.
2: Oh, by bad people.
3: Run by bad people, yeah. Mm. What do you think, Alejandro?
2: Well, here's the thing. Have we... And I, I didn't ask ever... you that because
3: they live in Mexico. Let's, no, 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 no. I, no, I, I, I was just going to okay, say... Just...
2: No, I was okay, just going to okay. ask, like, do we have a reference of a country that is not or has not been run by bad people? <laughs> that's, like, that's, I that's, mean, a, that's a hell of a question. That is a yeah. hell of a question. I mean, I guess. It, yeah. it is an Go interesting ahead. point, but I'm not sure we have that.
4: Yeah. Wait, I have a question. I have a question. Are Mexicans also white people? What? I mean, Alejandro, are you white? <laughs> Switch on your camera, Alejandro. S- sorry,
2: oh. we can, I I... I It's even harder for me to understand you at this
3: point. All right. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, but I'll agree. I'll agree with number 12. It is harder to be happy in a country run by bad people. But the question of which country is actually run by good people is a a good one. I'd say countries like Japan are not run very poorly. I think the government actually does try to help. And I mean, I don't know. But anyway, I I guess. Yeah. Uruguay
0: sticks out.
3: All right. Number 13 happiness is feeling useful to others.
2: Mm.
3: Agreed. Feeling useful.
2: I mean that
0: speaks
3: directly to, to the volunteer piece of this conversation yes, yes. like
0: also like it, it and only goes so far. I I am confident that it does fall short of the overlying happiness, but as we've kind of mentioned like there's
1: I don't know, like yeah. as yeah. a parent I think you know, and a as having a spouse like there is joy in feeling like I'm improving someone else's situation there is you know, it's a very hero laden joy but <laughs> you know if if you're the the key is not to let that fatigue you and then so that you start to feel like it's expected um you know I know people who volunteer on a serial basis and at some point they're like fuck I have to go like be at the thing with the thing and so if you can keep that idea of being useful at the forefront i think it is quite rewarding
3: all right number 14 happiness is to be loved for exactly who you are and i think yes. 13 and 14 were written when he was with that doctor as in serving people mm-hmm. happiness is being loved for exactly who you are i think the doctor was the one being appreciated for who he is and that's how that came about
0: oh yeah Yeah. in africa yeah yeah his friend with the bodyguard yeah yeah
3: okay number 15 happiness comes when you feel truly alive what does that mean
1: i think he wrote that that. one after he got like released from the prison and he was like running through the like street like Uh, suddenly felt like he was like free and on fire So he wrote
3: nothing, he had nothing to his book While being in a prison He didn't in the have prison. his book
1: I think they had yeah, his but
3: book he, he asked them for the book and he said he wanted to write something But, apparently, but then
1: he had know. the pen, then then he the pen And that was his get out of jail Free card Alright
3: So happiness comes when you feel truly alive So happiness is knowing how to celebrate I think that was the morning after He was dancing with everyone
2: oh, yeah. Knowing how to
3: celebrate I love that. Why?
1: Why do I be? Um. So there's a practice that I did with the leadership program that I was in. That like, every time you set a goal and you do your goal, I've, lots of people are good at that. But you should celebrate. Like people don't celebrate after they, you know, check something off their list. Like just taking a moment to be like, woohoo! Like I like knowing how to celebrate. Like it's <laughs> rejuvenating. I think it's really important.
3: All right. All right. So happiness is caring about the happiness. Happiness is caring about the happiness of those you love didn't he say something like this before is being useful yeah he said in number 13 was happiness is feeling useful to others happiness is caring about the happiness of others i think this was from the lady who was on a stretcher who was dying or something like that all right next up
1: that one feels tricky yeah. Next. Time. I mean, it's the whole point of empathy,
2: right? Like the volunteering aspect as well. Like, do you care? Like, I've I've heard there's this guy in Mexico. Uh, he's like a coach, and you know, he's famous for that. I, you know, I, I I empathize, not empathize, I relate to his personality. But he has a lot of these. He he says this phrase constantly. He says, um, "Love is to." care for the freedom of the other person and I do happen to agree to some extent to what well, to a bunch of extent of that like I'm still not wrap up with the whole idea but I guess that's what think, this one is about right like when you care about the other people's happiness that's also happiness for you right because you're getting out of yourself and you're putting but, yourself at service of others
1: Yes. And I think it has to be part of balance because, you know, I've seen this a lot. There's a whole thing. Compassion fatigue is something that happens to people where they just like are incapable of being empathetic after having a job that requires high levels of empathy for years and they haven't done self-care or put themselves in a place to be cared for. And so I, I think that the answer to this for me is yeah, I think it's true if it's part of balance.
2: I mean, it's, I mean, I, and, and the whole, that's a whole movie. Sorry, just to finish. like That's a whole movie, right? Like, Hector was all about... like, He'd really require a bunch of empathy to the point that he, I guess, ran out of it at some point, And that's why he needed to regain
3: it or find it
2: again. So, yeah.
3: All right. I think the reason why this sentence throws me off is because it says happiness is caring about the happiness of those you love. If you love someone, then... Clearly, you'll want them to be happy. All right. Number <laughs> number 18. Happiness is not attaching too much importance to what other people think. Woo! I, I think that's essential for happiness. Yeah. <laughs> like if your happiness is based on what other people think about you, you give them the power to tear you down or build you up as they feel like because it's based on their perspective of you, which you can't control. So that's that's a horrible way to be happy. Agreed. All right, moving on. Number nineteen: the sun and the the sea make everyone happy. Is that so?
1: Oh, I'm gonna say yes for me. Oh, can you, you repeat, I'm please? Of of the, sea, the sentence like, is everyone. Line. I I I made a. I learned something I learned in medicine was, and it's related to this: never say never and never say always. So I feel mm. like. Everyone is one of those things that it only takes one exception to argue with. So I'm just going to say that's true for me.
3: Uh, I'll say I find them. I mean, they're there. There's something
0: healing about salt water and sun.
3: If you don't live by the sea. Well, I guess, I guess guess even if you do. All right, number 20. Happiness is a certain way of seeing things.
1: This is your appreciation lens. Yeah, yeah, right. The perspective,
3: say, yeah. yeah. Your your frame of mind is what determines. All right, number twenty-one. Rivalry poisons happiness. Comparison.
0: That comes back to the competition. you yeah, yeah, if you're comparing yourself to someone
1: else, it's yeah, I'll disagree i
3: disagree with this one.
1: I will disagree because... with this one too. Yeah.
3: Because right. I, I've I've I'm always in rivalry with someone. And the the thing is, you can have a rivalry, but respect your competition and wish them the best, but try to measure yourself to that person to ensure that you're not falling behind. As long as there's no bad feelings between you and who you're... So let's say it's my brother, for example. You can compete, but want the best, just just to push each other kind of thing. You know, we did karate together and we sparred and, you know, even in a tournaments we would fight, but... You know, you're just trying to get the best out of yourself and you're hoping that they do well too. And it's, it's I don't think it always has to be poisonous. And I think
1: coming back to a book we read in um, the the book club, as it was previously iterated, the playbook, like some people have a personality that they want to compete. And so I think for them, there's yeah. actually tremendous joy. in. And, and I think that those me. people are actually usually not attached to the, to the result. I think rivalry can steal your happiness if you're attached to being the winner.
3: Good. It's about mm-hmm. self-improvement. I agree with that. All right, number twenty-two, and we'll be finished in number twenty-three. Number twenty-two: Women care more than men about making others happy. The sexism. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> women care more me than it, men about making <laughs> others happy.
1: I think there's a biologic basis for this. Oh, and that's another ooh, book I should put ooh, on our list. At,
3: oh, that's Daniel. You're not allowed to say that though. Uh, Biological <laughs> basis. Saying women are more emotional than men? That's not, you you can't say that.
1: women have a sloppier immune system. Women have a sloppier immune system that makes it more difficult for them to have a um, more consolidated sense of self. And so I think, and because their bodies have to carry another thing that they can't recognize as a foreigner, they can't fight it like they fight a virus. There is like an actual molecular immunologic piece that make women sort of, Less self-defined, and so I think that you could extrapolate that.
4: And they're also they're also conditioned to put the needs of others before them. It's 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 a generalization, and it's a sad state of affairs. But it's partly it's significantly true that. So you're saying women are more caring. Women are more caring. Emotional
1: capacity, I think, is. Yeah. I'm. I'm not sure. Well, there will be exceptions, like any generalization. <laughs> but
3: it's hard saying. to get
0: past the whole like child
1: rearing part. <laughs> uh,
3: well, Growing. when they come, to, when they come to cancel us, I'll I'll try not <laughs> to get cancelled in this section of, of even of even implying that women are women and men are slightly different in any way <laughs> capable. I mean, forget oxytocin levels and stuff like that, testosterone. <laughs> but moving on. <laughs> Finally, happiness means making sure that those around you are happy.
1: Yeah, but I think like the trouble with that one is that you can't actually be sure that somebody else is happy. There's personal responsibility that is like can't be separated out from that equation. So I don't personal think that's responsibility.
3: a good one. I like that. That's a good way to wrap up our series. Personal responsibility. <laughs> As Hector concluded, we are obligated to find our own
2: Happiness.
3: Yes. Alright, it's no one else's responsibility. Not the government, not your country, not your girlfriend or your wife. Happiness is inside and everyone should try to find it for them. So.
1: Love it. Right? Alright, till
2: next time. Ciao. <laughs> Alright. <Again. laughs> okay. No.